Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Wondering when the last time is it that you've played a good old-fashioned game of hide-and-seek? Some of you, it's been a little while, huh? When's the last time you played? Maybe when you were a kid or with your kids or your grandkids or your niece or nephew or if you're a babysitter. When's the last time you played hide-and-seek? You know, I think you all know the game, right? One person closes their eyes, counts to a certain number, and everybody else goes and finds a good hiding spot. And the person who did the counting now job is to go and seek the people who were hiding. We play it a lot at our house. I don't know if you've guessed it or not, but I'm not very good at this game. There's not very many places in my house I can hide. <laughs> I don't hide very well. I usually end up in a corner, just literally standing in a corner, or the good old lay on the ground and put a blanket over me. That's like my extent of my hiding. That's, that's all I'm, I'm very good at. But my favorite people to play hide-and-seek with are little toddlers, two- and three-year-olds. Probably because their hiding spots are just as pathetic as mine. They're usually like under a table or something like that. But what I really like about playing hide-and-seek with a two- or a three-year-old is that they don't really wait to be found. If you've played with a really little kid, they, they don't quite understand the point of the game. The excitement gets to be too much for them, and they don't wait to be found. They come out and find you. Your, your job is to be the seeking, but they don't wait. Here I am! They come bursting out of their spot and kind of ruins the game, but it's adorable all at the same time. And what we're going to see today is that that's actually exactly how wisdom works. And it's really, really good news for you and for me. Let me show you what I mean. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we are. If you don't have your Bibles open there already, please turn there as Bill just read that passage for us today. This summer, we are meditating on the idea of wisdom, wisdom in life as we're studying through the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is well known in Scripture. And even if you haven't been around church, you know what a proverb is. We've given many examples over the last couple of weeks. Proverbs is well known for these short, memorable phrases that help explain or, or help us think about life. And they end up being kind of randomly put together, it feels like, in, in the book. It feels like a whole bunch of ideas are just thrown into a blender and kind of thrown out on a page. But that's only really the, the second or the, the last two-thirds of the book. The first nine chapters, where we've been so far in the first couple of weeks of this series, are more like a series of speeches than they are a bunch of random phrases. And these speeches are given from a father figure, whether that's biological or spiritual, it doesn't matter, it's applicable to both. And it's an invitation for his children, for his disciples, to walk in wisdom, to grow in wisdom. And wisdom is personified as this beautiful woman, as a father's talking to his sons and saying, it's like the most beautiful woman that you cannot imagine living your life without. That's what wisdom is like. And this morning and next week, we're going to stay within that first introductory idea of continuing to think about what is wisdom, adding one layer on top of the other as we understand and explore a little more of what wisdom is. And after that, we're going to spend the rest of the summer thinking about a number of topics as we explore the second half of the book. And actually, you'll see a list of those topics later this week so you can know exactly where we're heading for the rest of the summer. But as we've thought about wisdom, we've, we've done a couple of things so far. We've tried to put a little bit of a definition to it. 
Wisdom is such a broad thing because it applies to all areas of life. But what we've tried to say is that wisdom is skill at living in harmony with God's created order. God is the creator of this world, the one who has designed it, the one who knows it best and knows you best because he created and designed you as well, has created a reality that the world operates best under. And wisdom is living in line with that as God has defined it. In the very first week of this series, Pastor Jen gave us a couple of words that really helped us understand some kind of categories to think about wisdom, and I think they're really helpful and worth going back to for just a moment. He talked about morality, mystery, and mastery. Wisdom is needed to help us understand what is right and what is wrong. It gives us definition of what is, what is true morality. For example, Proverbs 12, helps us see that the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. He's giving us, wisdom gives us definition, help us understand lying is evil. God as the creator has said that truthfulness is right and good, and telling lies is not. But there's a lot of areas, we all know, that don't fit within that right, wrong, black and white situation. There's a bit of mystery to it. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible the entire Bible, are found in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. In other words, when you're talking to a fool, don't stoop to their level. But verse 5, the very next verse says this, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Back-to-back verses tell you to do opposite things. Do I answer a fool according to his folly, or do I not answer a fool according to his folly? And the answer is, you need wisdom. Because wisdom knows the exact circumstances, the exact situation, every detail, and will guide you and direct you as to whether that moment it is best to answer a fool according to his folly, lest they think they're wise, or don't answer a fool according to their folly, because they'll take you down to their level and beat you because they're better at it than you are. Morality, mystery. And the last place, mastery. If you think about the number of decisions you make a day, it's estimated that an average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. That is an astonishing amount of decisions. And they range from everywhere from really insignificant and small to really life-changing and life-directing. So you need wisdom when it comes to spending your money. You need wisdom as to whether or not to pick up that Starbucks order or not. But it feels like a different category, right? So when you think about whether you should buy that house that you really can't afford, or that car that's just a little bit pricier, it feels like different levels of, of, of wisdom needed there. You need wisdom on how to think about the cultural and ethical dilemmas that face our society every single day, and it feels like a new one hits you in the face every single week, or at least is brought to the forefront. You need wisdom on how to, dis- to discuss and, and, and to talk and to think with people about how you differ on those issues. It can be really, really intense conversations, and you need wisdom on how to respond to your sibling or your kids when they just do their daily bickering. They feel like they're on different levels, but you need wisdom for both. 
This is why the need comes for mastery. Mastery is the ability to see down the road, to get outside of the here and the now, and to be able to see the consequences of decisions that are being made now. To see that that little extra snack here or there, that little lack of self-control is leading you down a road. That you're being shaped into a person. See, wisdom's goal is not just to help you make good decisions in the moment. Wisdom's goal is actually to form you to be a wise person. It's interested in aiming, it's aimed at your character to help you be a person who is after God's own heart, who has the discernment and the insight to see the implications of decisions, to see ahead and to make decisions in line with God. You see, sometimes you face decisions in life that you have weeks and months to think about. You can search out counsel, you can really study decisions, and you need wisdom there. And then those knee-jerk moments happen, where you got half a second and you didn't even think, you just reacted. Wisdom is aimed at making you more aligned with God, with His reality, His way, so that in the knee-jerk reaction, what comes out is wisdom. You have understanding and insight in this world. So the invitation that Proverbs offers is not just to use wisdom in the moment, but to become wise. And the starting point of all that, as Scripture says over and over again, is the fear of the Lord. One way that a commentator described the fear of the Lord is that there is the reverence where a child of God humbles themselves before God and lives in obedience and submission to their loving Father. Quick shorthand way to understand and remember the the fear of the Lord is it's obedience motivated by love. That's what the fear of the Lord is. If you look in chapter 4, verse 4, you see a little glimpse of that. This is a father talking to his sons, and he's actually recounting a story that his father told him, teachings that his father passed down to him. And he speaks of his father, and he says, Then he taught me and said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. There's something subtle in there that's really kind of cool in the way that Hebrew poetry is written. See, English poetry, we like to rhyme things. That's how we kind of, that's our clue that it's poetry. This is why Dr. Seuss is just like a legend, right? We have a book at our house called There's a Wocket in My Pocket. A wocket is not a thing, neither is a noosebrush on my toothbrush, but we love that book at our house because it rhymes, right? It just, that just poetry to us. That's not how Hebrew poetry works. Hebrew poetry works with parallelism. It either restates a statement, giving a little more detail to it, restating it, or presents something that is totally the opposite of that. It builds or develops it. That's how Hebrew poetry works. And you see that here in verse 4, when it says, take hold of my words with all your heart. And he develops, what does that mean to take hold of words with all my heart? To keep my commandments. You see, we can't separate our head and our hands. When the Bible talks about taking hold of something with your heart, it's the combination of what you know in your head empowering and impacting what you do with your hands. The heart is the head and the hands put together. That is what wisdom is. Keep my commands and you will live. We have to be very careful that we don't equate information with wisdom because you can have a whole lot of knowledge You can know the right thing to do and be a total fool. 
Don't equate information with wisdom. Wisdom is applied information. And we've talked a lot so far in the series about how wisdom comes with benefits. You can see them throughout this entire passage, that God doesn't look at us and just say, do it because I said it. He actually gives us reasons. Look at verse 4. Keep my commands and you will live. Wisdom brings life, real, meaningful life. Verse 6, don't forsake wisdom. She will protect you, watch over you. Sometimes that's from others, but I found that most of the time that's just from my own foolishness and my own self. Verse 8, embrace her and she will honor you. Verse 9, she will give you a garland and glorious crown. She will add beauty and honor to your life. Yet as we saw last week, there's a really big problem. That each and every one of us has a propensity to foolishness. That you aren't born neutral. You aren't born even with a tendency to lean towards wisdom and desiring wisdom. You are born a fool and your life reinforces that. That is your draw. That is what pulls you from birth. Proverbs 22.15 says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. You don't have to teach a child to be foolish. We are born there, and without an act of God's grace in our lives, we will stay there. Verse, uh, Psalm 14, verse 1 says that the fool, deep down in his heart, says there is no God, lives as if there is no God. Which is why in this passage, again, you see several places where this father is warning his sons, don't forsake my teaching, verse 6. Verse 5, don't forget my words or turn away from them. Verse 4, take hold of them. He's pleading with his sons, I know, guys, this isn't your tendency. Your draw is naturally towards folly. But listen to my words. Which brings us to verse 7, which is really the heart of this passage. In light of all we've discussed, in light of what wisdom is, how beautiful it is, what it adds to your life, your need for it, your natural position as a fool. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Is that jarring to you? <laughs> so who wants wisdom? Ready? Here's step one. Get wisdom. You're like, what is that? You might actually have a little footnote in your uh, Bible that says, wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Really, they're saying the same thing. They're saying with the importance of wisdom and the need for wisdom, ready? Here's how you get wisdom. Go get it. One commentator paraphrases this verse this way. He says, it does not take brains or opportunity, but a decision. Do you want it? Come and get it. Seek it. Find it. Orient your lives around gaining wisdom. So the real question to us, for us today is, how? How do we gain this? Maybe over the last couple of weeks, you found inside yourself some of the things that were talked about last week. Maybe you were resonating with what Pastor Jim was saying. You're like, wow, I am bent towards folly. And the week before, Pastor Bill, he's talking about the benefits of wisdom. You're like, I want that. I want honor. I want protection. I want, I want to be wise. The question becomes, how do we get it? 
Here's the ironic thing about growing in wisdom, is that the practices are not complicated, but they're not easy. The path to growing in wisdom is not challenging to comprehend, but for fools, it feels impossible to actually do. A couple of notes before we kind of get into maybe some practical things as to how we might actually be those who grow in wisdom and orient our lives around seeking and pursuing wisdom is that it starts with the realization that you don't have it in you to start with. See this term that says, which just says, get wisdom. You could also translate that, go buy wisdom. In other words, go get it. You don't have it. It's a financial exchange. You need wisdom that you don't have. And this is very contrary to a whole lot of the popular teaching this day. A whole lot in our world is, hey, you've got it deep inside of you. You just got to kind of find it. And the Bible actually goes exact opposite of that. You don't have the wisdom that you need. You do not have all you need wrapped up inside your little self. And it takes intentional pursuit to find it. It must be sought after. You can turn back if you want to chapter 2, but I just want to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, and I want you to listen to the active ways that Proverbs is saying, if you want wisdom, listen to the words that are used to describe as to how that pursuit takes place. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 6 says, "'My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you,' turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver, if you search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Do you hear some of those words? Calling out, crying out, searching, They're all active words. Wisdom doesn't just happen. It needs to be sought as if it was a buried treasure. Which is why verse 7 of chapter 4 comes right out and just says, if you want it, here's the beginning. Go get it. The question is then, where does it come from? Verse 6 of chapter 2, which we just read a minute ago. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. At some point, maybe even later today, go and read Job 28. Job 28. Job is another one of these wisdom books where Job is talking about this idea of wisdom and where it's found. And he asks the question, where does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? And he goes on to say, men, we have learned how to mine for gold. We know where to search for that. We know where to search for iron, but where do you go to harvest wisdom? Verse 21 says, It's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. But God understands the way to it, and He alone knows where it dwells, for He views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. The first place that the pursuit of wisdom comes is actually on your knees before the Lord. In New Testament book, which is of James, which is often attributed as New Testament wisdom, is one of the most hopeful passages for me in this. 
You might even know it. James chapter 1, verse 5. If you don't know it, memorize it. Commit it to your heart. James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, and every hand in the room goes up. I love it. It's if any of you. It's kind of more like, so in the million times a day when you lack wisdom is my shepherd translation of that. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This passage shows us that God's heart is to actually give you wisdom. And he does that. He reveals his wisdom to us in four primary ways. God's spirit, God's word, God's people, and God's world. I told you, it's not complicated. These are regular practices of the Christian. But I think as we'll see by the end of this morning, it might not be complicated. It doesn't mean it's easy. First place, God's Spirit. James says that we should ask God. How does God reveal wisdom to us? Every man, woman, and child who has put their faith in Jesus and is looking to Jesus for life, as we sang, our hope in life and death, has been given the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you. To the point where Jesus, when he was on earth with his disciples, was looking forward to the day after his death, after his resurrection, after he ascends to the Father, and he says, it's good that I go away. Why? Because I'm going to give you an even better helper. I'm going to give you the Spirit of God to lead you and to guide you. And the Spirit of God is the first place we must start. And that is embodied through simple prayer. I can't tell you how many times a day just that quick knee-jerk response becomes, Lord Jesus, help me. Spirit, guide me. I don't have wisdom. It's an honest start with an honest confession that just says, I don't have it in me. But you can guide me. You can lead me. Part of the problem with that, though, is that might be a normal reaction for you, but I think one of the biggest enemies to us growing in wisdom is the fact that you and I have been discipled and trained on busyness and noise. So we take a moment and we do half of what it means to pray and seek God's Spirit. We ask. The problem is we don't stay there long enough. We are so trained to be busy and to keep our mind occupied by so many other things that we don't do the second part of prayer, which is to sit and be still, to listen, to actually allow the Spirit of God to answer. Because the amazing thing is that the Spirit doesn't yell. He whispers. And it takes us quieting ourselves, being still before Him so that we can actually hear the Spirit lead and guide. I've talked to so many people and I've experienced this myself. This isn't outside of me. This is me too, where I, I find it so hard to focus on prayer, to be quiet. It's so hard because my mind just goes a million different places. And it's no wonder. How many moments a day do you have quiet? How many of us, as soon as you hit a red light, reach for the cell phone? Because that moment is 15 seconds of quiet, and that's just too long. Last thing in our beds with us is a cell phone in our hand or the news on 24-7. 
or always taking in information. And don't get me wrong, as we'll see in a minute, those are, there are some great ways that the Lord can bring wisdom into those moments. But how foolish of us to skip the source and try to go to the secondary sources when we've, before we've even taken time to sit and be still before the Lord. In those moments when you have a decision to make, are you still before the Lord to allow Him to lead you and guide you? And just in the formation of becoming a wise person, do you have regular times of quiet, of silence and solitude to be alone with the Lord? Because here's the thing about that. When we go to God's Spirit first for guidance and wisdom, He knows exactly where you are and what you need. You ever been in a place where a friend has asked you for advice? And you know about this much of the story. But you give your advice and you walk away going, boy, I hope that was helpful because I don't even know. You ever been in that spot? I live there. Every time I'm asked something, I'm like, oh, I have no idea, but here goes something. And I leave walking away thinking, I don't actually know if that was the best thing to say because I don't know everything going on in their world. You know who's never, ever said that once? God. He's never looked and thought, gee, I hope that was good advice. God's Spirit knows you more deeply and more fully than you could ever understand and know yourself. He knows every detail of every circumstance. He knows the path of wisdom, and the Lord delights in giving that to you. We would be so wise to be regularly putting in rhythms of silence and solitude so that we might regularly hear and be formed by the Spirit of God. How does He do that? One of the primary tools in the Spirit's hand in forming you and making you into a wise man or woman is His Word. And I don't mean just like, hey, I've got a question. Let me do a quick Bible gateway search and see if I've got an answer from the Bible. There are moments where Scripture speaks directly to a situation that you're talking about. Most of the time it doesn't. But Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the simple wise. In Scripture, God has revealed Himself to us. He has revealed many things. Not everything. He hasn't given you today's version of the Bible so you can find every answer to every situation. But in His Word, His Spirit takes His Word and changes your heart. It reorients you. It gives you a clearer vision of who you are by revealing your idols, so you can be more aware of temptation as it comes. It reveals to you more of God's heart so that you're quicker to turn back to Him and depend on Him and trust Him. His Word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path, Psalm 119 says. So the question becomes the same. Do you have regular times of rhythm where you are meditating on, marinating in, sitting with the Word of God, allowing it to not, not just you read it, but allowing it to read you. See, the Bible is written to be primarily meditation literature, and by that I mean this. If you actually did this with us last year, we as a church read through the whole Bible. It's not like other books where you just take it and you put it over on your shelf because, well, I read that one already. But God has designed His Word so that as you read it over and over and over again, as you meditate on it, His Word grows. It becomes more beautiful and changes. His Word doesn't change. It changes how it applies to you. You change, and you see fresh things about our immense, eternal 
huge God. In fact, as we think about what it might be like for us to, to soak in the Word of God, Pastor Bill mentioned this, I think, a couple weeks ago. 31 chapters in Proverbs just so happen to have 31 days in July and 31 days in August. There's two chances to at least add to your regular reading of God's Word a chapter a day. And if you feel like you need somewhere to start, start there. Two months. Soak yourself in the book of Proverbs. Third place, God's people. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Friends, if you look around this room, there's a wealth of wisdom here. You cannot do life by yourself. You were not designed to do that. You need other people. And what you really need are other people who fear the Lord and who are pursuing wisdom. Pursuit of wisdom is not a solo sport. It's a community activity. You need each other. Which makes me question, who are you going to for wisdom? Who are the people that you're asking to speak into your life? Are they men and women who are seeking the Lord? And are they going to give you wise counsel? As I look around, there are many of you that have walked many, many years with the Lord. And can I tell you that those of us young bucks, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your input. So not only who are you learning from, but who are you giving to? Who are you sharing? Who are you opening your life with? Inviting into those places. Fourthly, God's world. So many amazing places where God, through grace, common grace, has given wisdom to even those who have no fear of the Lord. There's podcasts, there's books, there's all kinds of great things. But I think the order really matters. Because for many of us, what's such a knee-jerk reaction is to skip God's spirit, to skip God's word, and maybe even skip mentoring and just go to a book or a podcast. Or maybe we just go right to a friend and we don't actually seek the Lord himself. Here's what happens. When we first seek the Lord before seeking a friend, what that does is it allows him to prepare our hearts for the way that he might bring wisdom to you. Because God very often brings wisdom, you've all experienced this, into your life through the words of a friend or through something random that you heard somewhere. But as we seek the Lord first, He allows us to prepare, He prepares our hearts for the wisdom that He might bring through a number of directions. Proverbs 4, 7 again, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Another author just takes this verse and he puts it a different way. He says, here's how you get wisdom. Just get it. It doesn't come to the most intelligent, the wealthy, or the fortunate, but to those who are most humbly determined to find it. And so the question this morning is, how determined are you to find wisdom? And the answer to that question is not most accurately answered by your lips, but by your life.
Proverbs 27, 19 says that as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Because if I looked around and I asked every one of you, how badly do you want wisdom? You'd probably be like, yeah, I really want it. It'd be really important. But does your life reflect that same answer? Is your life oriented around that? Because if you actually want to grow in wisdom, Proverbs 4, 7 is saying, enough talk. What are you doing with that? It forces you and I to have a moment of reflection on our lives and to evaluate what does my life actually reveal about my desire for wisdom. You can know the right answer. You can tell people you want to be wise, but your life, your habits will actually tell you whether or not that's a deep desire in your heart. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says that fools actually despise wisdom. And of course, none of us would say that with our words. But your daily habits will reveal whether or not you actually want wisdom or not. Times of prayer before the Spirit of the Lord. Do you pride yourself in being busy and always having your mind occupied? Do you fight and resist any moments of silence? Do you skip right over the Spirit, not resisting all the noise and the chaos around you to, to hear His voice? God's Word. Do you read it as a checklist? Do you actually meditate on it? Do you sit with it? Does your reading of Scripture make you more arrogant and proud of your knowledge, or does it make you more humble and broken? Is it actually a part of your life? Do you allow yourself to live in, in community with other believers who can speak into your life and point out areas where you are walking in the way of the fool? Do you regularly confess your sin for other, to others? Do you ask input for things that are even deep and personal, not just the easy to talk about surface things? See, all of those begin to reveal whether or not you actually want wisdom. And as I sat back and thought about my life this last week, it was convicting. Because I lacked the, the discipline and the self-control I'd rather take the extra amount of sleep. I'd rather be distracted by another show, by another game, by another thing to just keep me busy than actually sit in the quiet and feel the uncomfortableness and meet with the Lord and listen and be still than to sit and to be with His Word. Earlier this week, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who knows me well. He called me. And he very gently started nudging a couple areas in my life. And everything in me got really defensive. You talk about that. Remember how wisdom is not just about decisions way out there, but it's about becoming a wise person, knee-jerk reaction inside of you. And as he poked just very gently at something in my life, I could feel my face hot. I could feel my body tense. I stopped talking. I just stood there on the phone, just silent. despising wisdom. Do I really want wisdom? Well, the answer is yes and no. 
I do deep down in myself know that I want wisdom. I need to grow in wisdom. I want it. And part of me is still bound up in foolishness. But here's the amazing thing to me, that God has grace for fools. That God has grace for those of us who are called to seek wisdom, but eh, maybe not. That wisdom is like playing hide-and-seek with a two- and a three-year-old. The good news is that wisdom doesn't wait for you to seek it, but wisdom comes and seeks you. See, wisdom is really bad at hide-and-seek. Wisdom's not interested in hiding. Wisdom is interested in finding you and inviting you to find her as well. Proverbs chapter 8, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, people, I cry out. I raise my voice. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it, on wisdom. Wisdom doesn't stay back and hide. Wisdom comes and seeks you. He comes out in the open, Proverbs 1 says. She calls aloud. Because as we've said every single week in this series, what you find personified as Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs becomes embodied in the Gospels in the person of Jesus Christ. So the invitation to seek wisdom is not to seek some abstract Star Wars force-like thing, but it's an invitation to pursue the person of Jesus Christ who is the wisdom of God revealed to us. He is the fullness of God in bodily form. He is wisdom so that you don't just have to imagine, Lady Wisdom, but wisdom that you can touch. And wisdom came to us. The Word of God did not just stay words on a page, but the Word became flesh and lived among us and didn't just demonstrate what it's like to live in life of wisdom, didn't just bring more good teaching, although Jesus did both of those. Jesus came, gave his life on the cross so that his life given in sacrifice might become a life-giving spirit to you and to me. So that simply by looking to Jesus in faith, he can reorient our heart that is bent towards foolishness towards the one that is now bent towards wisdom. He wants to give you a new heart that from deep down inside desires wisdom And the beauty is, even this morning, wisdom is pursuing you. The question is, how will you respond? As the Spirit of God is moving, prompting you, in pursuing you, know that every movement towards finding wisdom yourself is only ever a response to what God has first done in Christ Jesus to pursue you and to know you. So friends, today... Wisdom is seeking you. Jesus himself is pursuing you by his spirit. Question is, will you embrace him? Will you not play hide and seek, but will you play a different game? Will you play seek and seek? Because wisdom is pursuing you. Will you pursue her today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us that even in moments when we have no interest in you, when we were lost, when we were your enemies running the opposite direction without God and without hope in this world, you, Jesus, came to pursue us because you knew the stakes. You knew that life is at stake. 
And you are far more interested in us being wise than we are interested in being wise. And your love for us, your pursuit of us, is changing us. You're reorienting us from being foolish to being those who love you and love wisdom. Lord, may we have the courage, may we have your divine spirit leading us and guiding us so that we might pursue wisdom. May we orient our lives around that. If the beginning of wisdom, if wisdom is supreme, Lord, we want to get wisdom. May we be men and women of faith who aren't just hearers of your word, but are doers. Empower us by your spirit to do that for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.